Jesus, we pray that you would use your word to help us be more your people. And we pray this in your name, Lord. Amen. Good to see all of you here. Thank you all for joining us. Uh, those of you online, thank you for joining us as well. We're glad to have all of you uh, part of this. Um, one of the people that my daughters are fascinated with is, as they call him, the BPG, or the Baby Prince George, which I think is his official title. And about a year ago, President Obama was in London, and he met with the BPG. And when this picture was released, that bathrobe sold out online in minutes. It was like five minutes, and it sold worldwide, sold out online. And I love the look on the BPG's face. He's sort of like, what am I, why, like, huh? Right. Although, in that bathrobe, I think if you just put a martini in his hand, <laughs> like he could be saying Bond, James Bond. <laughs> why did this meeting take place? Because of who the BPG will someday be, the King of England. Now, he's not king yet, but the promise is that he will be king of England, and he is acting on that promised future, which will entail many such meetings. And acting on his future makes it more real. And that's really the point of the scripture that we just read today. Acting on our promised future makes the promises of God more real, which in turn gives us courage, hope, strength, even in difficult times. Because, you know, when school is hard or relationships fall apart or career is kind of sideways or corporately the issues we face as a country, it can, it can be hard to feel hopeful. But as God's people, we are equipped not only to feel confident, courage, and hopeful, but to give confidence, courage, and hope to others that we know and, and across our country. Jeremiah, after all, is living through the darkest chapter of Israel's history, where the Babylonian Empire is about to conquer them and take them into exile for 70 years. And all the other prophets are saying, don't worry, we're going to win this war, it's going to be okay. That's what's called false hope or wishful thinking. Maybe somehow, just magically, my circumstances will get better. Well, maybe they will, or maybe they won't. Jeremiah says, no, we're going to lose this war. We're going to be carted off to exile. And furthermore, we deserve it. And God is going to use that to purify us from our sins, which as we've said in this series included burning their kids alive as sacrifices to idols, failing to care for immigrants, the poor, and the oppressed. Jeremiah says, surrender to the Babylonians. Nobody will die, and God will use it to purify us. How do you think that went over with his fellow Israelites? Right. They accused him of treason. And they threw him in prison. And while he is in prison, Jeremiah says, the word of the Lord came to me. Now that might have been an audible voice, but it also might have been kind of how we hear God's word. Those thoughts that we get that we know are not our thoughts. Hanamel, son of Shalom, your uncle, is going to come to you and say, buy my field at Anathoth. Then my cousin Hanamel came to me and said, buy my field at Anathoth. And I knew that this was the word of the Lord, so I bought the field. But then, just a few verses later, he has second thoughts. But wait, the city will be given into the hands of the Babylonians, and you, sovereign Lord, say to me, buy the field. In other words, are you nuts? Right? Like the Babylonian army is about to destroy the country. Not a good time for property values, God. Right? And like imagine if Canada invaded us to force us all to watch curling instead of football. It could happen. It could happen. Not a, you know, and let's say their army was all the way down to Everett. Not a good time to buy in Bothell. Right, unless you really like curling 
And if you do, there's a prayer team after the service that will be here to pray for you, which I actually probably need because I find curling strangely compelling. Like, it's the only sport with a broom that has got to mean something. What God asked Jeremiah to do right here is actually the secret to having courage, hope, and confidence no matter what we face. And we all face times of discouragement at some point that we can't tag out of. Because, you know, life is not like baseball in this way. Like baseball has this thing called a quality start. If a pitcher goes at least six innings, gives up no more than three runs, it's called a quality start. You don't even have to finish the game, right? You just need a quality start and then bring in the relief pitcher. I really wish preaching was that way, right? Like all you need is like two or three good minutes of the sermon. If it starts to go badly, just bring in the relief preacher, right? And give everyone relief. Or you get in an argument with your spouse and your wife says, I'm sorry, I'm calling in the relief husband to finish the day. But life is not like that. We can't tag out when it gets hard. Last week we looked at the famous verse where God says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper and not to harm you. Plans to give you a future and a hope. So how is it exactly that we step into that future hope? How do we make that real so we feel it, we experience it, we can move in it? It comes to this, we have to act. We have to act. Because see, a theology of hope is not the same thing as feeling hope. A theoretical hope is not, doesn't do anyone any good. A theoretical hope is not hope at all. So here's what you got to do. To experience hope, here's what you got to do. you got to act on your promised future, and it will give you courage to persevere in your present trials. Act on your promised future, and it will give you courage to persevere in your present trials. When the Israelites were about to enter the promised land, they had to cross the Jordan River at flood stage. And God said, just put your feet into the river and the waters will part like they did with the Red Sea 40 years earlier. Okay, to step into a flooded river is kind of scary, right? It can be scary to act on God's promises. But here's the thing. To see God part the waters, you have to be willing to drown. You won't, but you've got to have the courage to act on the promises. You've got to have the courage. Following Jesus is not for cowards. It is for courageous people. It takes courage to follow Jesus, and following Jesus gives us courage. Otherwise, if we don't act on those promises, they just remain theoretical. It doesn't do us any good. Jeremiah buys this property because God has promised that after exile, the Israelites will come back after 70 years and rebuild their nation. So actually, this is an awesome real estate deal. Right? Like, because when they come back, everyone's going to want to buy property. It's, it's like those of you who bought your homes here, like, a long time ago for, like, $50,000 or something like that. And, and if you did, the rest of us don't want to hear about it. Right? Just, you just keep that to yourself, okay? We make God's promises real when we act on them rather than refer them to committee to be studied. Now, you might say, well, wait, but God hasn't promised to fix my School, job, health, relationship problem. Well, first of all, he might fix it. You know, sometimes he does that. And sometimes God gives us direct personal promises. But he doesn't always, nor has he promised to do that. But there are some things in Scripture he has promised to do no matter what, every time, every place, everywhere. Some things that we can act on. Some promises we can act on to experience hope and courage. And the first is act on the promise that God is always doing something. And the way we act on that promise is by looking for what God is doing. Because when we see it, it gives us hope. In this passage, God says, I will bring them back. They will be my people and I will be their God. I will give them singleness of heart. In other words, this Babylonian thing isn't just random. God's going to use it to purify them, which does happen. After the exile, they never, ever again 
uh, resort to idol worship. So a good way to act on the promise that God is always at work is by simply asking this question. What has God been teaching you lately through the circumstances of your life? What has God been teaching you lately through the circumstances of your life? If I were to ask you that question after the service, what would your answer be? <laughs> Some of you are right now like, I'm going to avoid him after the service because <laughs> do not want to answer that question. But that's a good way to act on that promise. What's God teaching you? The second promise that we can act on is that God doesn't need much to do much. He works in the ordinary. He works in the routines of our life. When Jeremiah buys the land, he says, I signed and sealed the deed, had it witnessed, and weighed out the silver on the scales. I took the deed of purchase, the sealed copy containing the terms and conditions, as well as the unsealed copy, and I gave this deed to Baruch, son of Neriah, the son of Messiah, in the presence of my cousin Hanamel, and of the witnesses who had signed the deed, and all of the Jews sitting in the courtyard of the guard. Oh my goodness, that is boring. Like, did your mind wander when I was reading that? Because mine did. I'm pretty sure Jeremiah's did when he wrote it. Like, too much detail, Jeremiah. Edit, edit, edit. It even contains the phrase terms and conditions. You know, like when you subscribe to iTunes or an app and you get those pages and pages of terms and conditions that look something like that, right? Does anyone ever read those? No, you just scroll and scroll and scroll until you can finally hit accept. The level of detail here is mind-numbingly ordinary. And that is exactly the point. God works in the ordinary. He works in the routine. He doesn't need much to do much. Last week, I gave you an assignment that between now and Easter, you and me, we all have one story of how you participated with Jesus in bringing his healing wherever you are, school, work, home, neighborhood, church, volunteer time. And the way we get that story is to every day pray, Jesus, show me the opportunities I have today to bring your healing wherever I am. Well, I gave that same assignment about a month ago. I gave that same assignment to uh, one of the guys I'm discipling. And so he's, he's a month ahead. He's kind of my beta test. And he's been praying, keeping his eyes open for chance to bring healing. And this week he told me that one day a woman in his office asked him, asked, asked for some time off to take her mom to the doctor. The next day she said that she wasn't sure she could keep working there because it turns out her mom is really sick and she may need to take care of her. So this guy asked some questions, right, and kind of, you know, what's going on? But she didn't want to talk, so he just kind of backed away. But a few days later, she was talking about how worried she was that her mom might die and and what happens after death. She didn't have any kind of faith background at all and, and was so frightened at the thought of death that she actually was crying right there in the office. So this guy that I disciple, he said, well, can I tell you why I'm not afraid of death? Would that help? And she said, yes. So he said, well, I believe in Jesus. And I believe there's a better life after death. And actually, when you think about how great it's going to be, it's actually kind of exciting. So that started conversation. They'd been talking the whole week. A few days later, he shared how Jesus had helped him overcome some bad habits around alcohol and some of his own failures and disappointments. He sent her online devotionals and said, look, if I'm overwhelming you, just tell me and I'll, I'll tone it down. Now, I don't have a, and now she's a missionary in Africa and saved a puppy from a flood, into the story, right? It's, it's still in process. It's still ongoing, right? But at bare minimum, she knows that there's someone in that office who cares about her, which has got to make her feel less lonely during a very difficult time in her life. And who knows? She may even discover the radical hope of new life that we have in Jesus, because he was praying. He had eyes, his eyes open how he could participate with Jesus in bringing healing in his workplace, an ordinary place. 
God works there. And incidentally, by doing perfect evangelism. Because evangelism is not shoving doctrine at people, right? Evangelism is not getting in their face and answering questions that they're not asking. You know, if you die tonight, do you know where you're going? Uh, the morgue? You know? That's, that's not evangelism, right? It's just meeting people where they are, which is what he did, which brought her hope, but also gives him hope. Because he sees God at work even in the routines of his life, which makes God more real. Third promise, God loves you, which I know you know, up here, right? We're Presbyterian. We've got a lot of stuff locked up here. But it's hard for us to actually experience that we are loved. Now, we can kind of, that prayer helps with that. Worship helps with that. Meditating on God's love help, helps with that. But also, we just got to get practical, guys, and act on the promise that God loves us. So, for instance, this year for Lent, instead of giving something up, what I've decided to do is I'm, I'm going to notice all the ways I effectively deny that God loves me. So, for instance, if I get freaked out over criticism or if I'm worried about something, I'm basically forgetting that God loves me because if I really knew that, I'd take criticism better. I, I wouldn't get worried all the time. So, for Lent, if I get criticized or if I worry, I stop and I say, God, I know you love me, so help me respond in this moment as though I am loved, which means I'm probably going to receive criticism better. Use it to help me be a better person. I'm going to be less worried. And in God's providence, he has blessed me with an abundance of opportunities to practice this. <laughs> he answered that prayer. And it's made his love feel more real. God is always doing something, even in the routine, ordinary parts of our life. He doesn't need much to do much. God loves you. Fourth promise that we can act on, God is making all things new for you. And it might even be you he's making new. God says to Jeremiah, once more, fields will be bought in this land. There will be heard once more the sounds of joy and gladness. Jeremiah acts on this promise. He buys the property based on this promise that God will restore what has been lost, mend what is broken, revive what has died. Find a way to make this promise real for you. Maybe if you're going through a hard time right now, write down on a piece of paper how you would like God to shape your character through it. Put it on your bathroom window so you, mirror so you see it every day. Or if, you're going, if your marriage is in trouble, unless it involves abuse or something like that, don't live as though divorce is inevitable. Live as though restoration is inevitable because our God restores. Go to counseling. Treat each other the way people in good marriages treat each other. You might find yourself in a really good marriage. See, Jesus died not just to pay the price for our sins. Yes, that too. But just as important is he was raised from the dead to show that he revives, restores, renews. Which brings me to my last point. Act on the promise that God is making all things new for you and also all things new through you for others. Jeremiah buys land here he will never get to use. They're not coming back for 70 years. He buys land that he will never get to use and he does it for the sake of future generations to show that restoration isn't just a personal promise to him, it's corporate promise. You know, in our individualistic culture, we tend to read the Bible very individualistically, right? Me and my Jesus. And that's okay. That's fine. But the Bible was written to communities. And the problem is English has no second person plural. So, for instance, the famous verse, Jer Jeremiah 29, 11, we looked at it last week. Here's how it really should be translated, okay? For I know the plans I have for y'all, plans to prosper y'all, to give all y'all a future and a hope. Okay, that is the ASV translation, Alabama Standard Version, right? <laughs> God is at work. 
God is always at work. Even in the minutiae, the routines of our life, he loves you. He is making all things new in you, and he is making all things new through you for others. Act on those promises, and when we act on those promises, we find ourselves gaining courage and wisdom and hope and confidence. Act on those promises. The reason Jeremiah has hope, even in the darkest hour of Israel's history, even despite his own doubts, and he has many, many doubts, but in spite of that, he has hope and courage because he is not focused on his circumstances. He's focused on the character and the promises of God. He's acting on that, not his circumstances. That's where his focus is, and so he has courage. When my oldest daughter was about eight, we took her to the eye doctor for the first time, and he put that tester thing in front of her and said, can you, can you read the chart? And she said no, so he kind of increased the lenses. She still said no. He kept upping the lenses until finally they're like telescopes in front of her eyes, and she still couldn't read it. Finally, my wife realized the problem, and she said, Holly, it's not a word. Just read the letters. <laughs> she was trying to read the eye chart like a word. <laughs> she didn't have a vision problem. She was focused in the wrong way. Jeremiah's focus was not on the Babylonian army. His focus was on the character and the promises of God. See, hope is not wishing it were so. Hope is not just wishing it were so. Hope is action based on the promises of God. We don't languish in despair, though that can be easier. Hope calls us to risk, to challenge, to do, because our God is the God who makes all things new. Whom then shall we fear? And it seems weird and kind of impractical for Jeremiah to buy a field that had Babylonian troops on it, but it is actually the most practical thing he could have done. Because you see, Jeremiah acted on the more real, the more true, the more lasting thing. Put it to you this way, the Babylonians are long gone, but the people of God and the kingdom of God, and the promises of God go on and on and on. So here's your homework, two things. What promise of God do you need to act on this week to experience hope and courage? And then the second is the, the, the one I gave you last week, the one-story challenge, challenging all of us, myself included, between now and Easter, to have one story of where you participated with Jesus in bringing his healing in your work, neighborhood, home, church, volunteer time. And it doesn't have to be huge. Maybe it's just listening to a coworker in a way that helps. Maybe something with your kids or with your parents. A couple weeks ago, I was going through security at the airport and it was super busy and people were grouchy, right? And kind of, you know, and the TSA person was, was doing a job. She was doing a great job managing all the angry people and with courtesy and even a sense of humor. And I just felt God nudge me, tell her she's good at her job. So I just tapped her on the shoulder and I said, you're good at your job. She got a big smile on her face and she said, that makes my day, man. This will shock you, but people don't usually say that to the TSA agent. <laughs> no. I thought they said it all the time. It could be that simple, okay? And the way you get that story is every day, pray, Jesus, show me the opportunities I have today to bring your healing wherever I am. And then when you've got that story, we're going to use it for another community art project similar to the one we did back in December. Some artists in our church have had a map of the east side carved into wood. And it's in the lobby, but it's not finished. We need your help to finish it. You're going to finish it. So here's what you're going to do. When you have that story, and some of you have it already today, you can do this today. There are some wooden stamps out there. They've got ink on them. You're going to take one of those stamps. You're going to mark a square on the map where your story took place. 
Okay, school, work, neighborhood, home, like he's doing there in that picture right there. And as each of us stamp the place where we participated with Jesus in bringing his healing, gradually our stamps will overlap each other, the color will deepen and will fill in the rest of the map. And then we'll start to see our city differently as a place where God is bringing healing and wholeness. Every stamp is a story of God reviving the east side and beyond. Every stamp is a story of hope. Every stamp is a story that can give us courage, confidence, and hope. And if your story took place off the map, just put your mark on, one of, on the edge of the map. And then, if you're willing, share your story. You can shoot a quick 15-second video on your phone and send it to us. There's instructions out there on the map, how to, by the map, how to do that. And we'll incorporate those videos into the art. And you'll see how we're doing that when you look at it. And if you would be really kind, really kind, send your story with all of the details, the long version, send it to me so that I can tell it in future sermons anonymously, no, no names. And this isn't just to make my life easier, though it would. <laughs> if you love me, you will send me stories, okay? Funny stories, meaningful stories, just send me your stories, right? But more than that, throughout Scripture, storytelling is important. Some traditions call it testifying. And it's in the Bible all over because as we hear each other's stories, it encourages us. Okay, one story challenge, mark on the map where it happens. Some of you can do that already today. I'll close with a story from some people from our church. Peter and Wendy Thompson, they are missionaries in Japan, and their ministry is growing, and they need more space to, to meet the needs of the people there. They're trying to serve the community, and they need more space. And, and, and they've tried to rent places, but space is rare and expensive in Japan, and they've been praying and praying about this. Well, one day, they're at the grocery store, and across the street was a building that had been vacant for the last eight years. And they've prayed about it, um, but, but, but never seen an owner, never seen a listing, never seen anything. The neighbors all said, oh, that owner will never rent it ever. Right, But on that particular day there at the store, uh, there was a man in front of that building across the street. And Peter said, should we go see if that's the owner? And Wendy said, yes. And then Peter said, I immediately chickened out. But Wendy said, well, I'm going anyway. Right? Well, turns out it was the owner. And so after eight years of praying, on a random trip to the store, at the exact moment that the owner was standing in front of that property, which hadn't happened in eight years, they finally connected. Wendy said, I was so excited, I forgot to buy the tofu that day. A few days later, they looked at the space. It was perfect, but way out of their league financially, right? And then Jesus nudged them, just tell them who you are. Tell the owner who you are. Kind of risky in unchurched Japan, but they did. And told the owner of their vision to serve the community, have after-school programs for kids, stuff like that. And then the owner said, you know what? It's an amazing coincidence that we met on Saturday. And they said, yeah, about that. See, we follow Jesus, and just one week ago, we asked all our friends in America to pray that we would get some space. That was just one week ago, and it was just days later that we met you, and the owner said, huh, and they said, yeah, right? Well, they went home, and they prayed, and they felt Jesus say, take a risk and make an offer based on what you can afford, which would be free. But they were a little more rational than that. They decided they'd offer 130,000 yen a month. <clears throat> See, they were acting on God's promise, not necessarily to get that building, but to use them to bring his healing in Japan. Well, the property manager said it's worth a lot more. We were hoping for at least $200,000 a month, but I'll talk to the owner. A few days later, they met with the owner who said, you've offered 130000 a month. We'd like to rent, rent it to you, but it's worth a whole lot more. And Wendy thought, okay, here comes the wrecking ball. And then he said, so how about 140000 
and then he even lowered the, the deposit. In her email, Wendy said, we believe Jesus is acknowledging our risky faith. We would, we, why would the owner look so kindly on a couple of foreigners? We can't explain it other than it's Jesus at work. Even if the owner likes us, why would he rent at such a deep discount? We can't explain it. Truth be told, we don't need to. Jesus isn't wanting us to understand everything. He is simply inviting us to walk in faith and obedience. So two months and a day after asking people to pray, we now have an additional space to launch further into helping the community. Did Jesus just do that? Yes, he did. They acted on God's promise that he is always at work even after eight years of discouragement. That he loves them, that he is making all things new in them and making all things new through them. They didn't have theoretical hope. They had real hope which they acted on. Now your story might be different. Maybe it's something in your family. Maybe it's just helping a coworker by listening to them. Maybe it's encouraging a TSA agent. Your story may be different, but know that God is at work. How can you act on God's promises and step into the hope and the future that he wants to give to you, but also through you to others? Because Jesus is always on the move. So step into your future and your hope. So Jesus, give us eyes to see the promises you make and the promises you keep. All the promises of God find their yes in you, Jesus. So help us to see them and act on them, move forward in them, and then, Lord, be at work in us. Give us eyes to see the opportunities we have to bring your healing wherever we are. And thank you that you do that. I pray this in your name. Amen.